Hello and uh, welcome back to Future Bound by Clavinet's Combination Carriers. My name is Sean Sisner, project developer in KCC, and uh, together with me, I'm pleased to have uh, Ingrid Kilsta from Serial Lab by Clavinet. Welcome, Hello. Ingrid. Nice to be on the podcast. Nice to have you here. So this time we're going to talk about the upcoming EU ETS expansion to include uh, emissions from the shipping industry, uh, and we're going to look into what the EU ETS is and how it uh, will impact the shipping industry, as well as what we do in Clavness uh, and also what our cargo owners doing uh, to prepare for this. Yes, and it's a big topic. Absolutely. So uh, maybe to set the scene, we can uh, start with uh, talking about what what is the EU ETS and what's the background for shipping being included in the in the system. Because although, although it's very new that shipping emissions will be included in the uh, European Emission Trading Scheme as of January next year, this is actually a very well established system. Uh, that has been in place for many years already. And uh, all land-based uh, heavy industry, like big installations in Europe, like uh, steel smelters, uh, have been part of the emission trading scheme for many years already. So it's an established market where companies are trading in allowances uh, that allows you to emit one ton of uh, CO2. Fundamentally, that's what this is about. And it's a uh, it's a capped market, uh, so there is a limited number of allowances in the market. And that's because uh, the ETS is a tool for the European Union to reach its climate targets. So every year, the number of allowances in the market uh, should go down uh, so that it becomes more expensive to pollute. And companies are incentivized to invest in energy efficiency technologies and alternative uh, fuels. So shipping is uh, is uh, in many ways uh, a latecomer uh, to a big climate policy instrument that has been in place for for several years, and uh, a lot of the mistakes of the of the early years of the ETS they have been uh, corrected and uh, dealt with. So in some ways we're lucky uh, mm. that uh, that we're we don't have to live through the through the early years of uh, of the ETS. Absolutely, and its uh, inclusion uh, of shipping is actually closing in uh, very fast. So uh, uh, what is the timing and, uh, and scope for, the, for it's, the shipping? It's closing in, in very fast, but it's also been a process that's been very long in the making. Mm. So ever since the European MRV regulation on monitoring, reporting and verification of greenhouse gas emissions from shipping uh, came into effect, I think that was in 2018, uh, we have known that uh, we would be included in mm. the emission trading scheme at some point. And uh, in uh, April, it was finally confirmed uh, that it happens as of 1st of January 2024. So that's just a few months uh, uh, ahead of us. And the first reporting will then be in uh, 25? Yes. So what it means is that uh, for all voyages that uh, uh, take place in 2024, companies will have to uh, pay for the uh, emissions that, uh, uh, that happen. Uh, and the reporting is uh, is done in by March 2025 for 2024 emissions, mm. and the payment is due by September 2025. So it's a big time lag. Yeah, and that's kind there. of surrendering your allowances on the on the account that you. Yes, have. by September 2025, you have to make sure that uh, as the shipping company, the way it is defined in the regulation, the dock holder. Uh, you have to have the, the corresponding amount of allowances in your account uh, that corresponds to the amount of CO2 you emitted in 2024. And you have to buy them uh, either on an auction or uh, um, uh, as an OTC. And you have to take a bet on how you think the price will develop as well. You could 
You could try to buy all the allowances uh, you'd like uh, mm. today uh, and just keep them in your account or you can play the market. That's yeah. uh, up to each company. It's a bit of a compliance uh, versus speculating. And I think for most uh, shipping companies, it will be compliance, uh, especially in the uh, in the first years. I, I believe so as well. Uh, but it will not be 100% of the emissions will not be uh, included uh, in 24. It will be a stepwise buildup. So first of all, let's talk about the emissions that are in scope. Yeah. So 100% of all the emissions that are emitted on voyages between European ports and in European ports, they are in scope uh, of this regulation. And that's uncontroversial because that's uh, European uh, territory. Uh, what is uh, what is uh, interesting with this regulation is that it also puts a price on uh, emissions from international voyages. Because 50% of all emissions from voyages going into Europe or out of Europe, they're also in scope. So mm. that's the that's the uh, scope of the emissions. And then there will be a gradual phase-in. So in the first year, uh, you only pay for uh, around, uh, you only pay for 40% of uh, eligible emissions. And in 25, you pay for 70% of eligible emissions. And then in 2026 onwards, the system is fully implemented. Then you pay for 100% of the eligible emissions. And this is only carbon dioxide, uh, which is included at the moment, but uh, the, the system will also expand uh, to other greenhouse gases. Yes. Yeah, so for now, it's uh, only CO2. Uh, but as of 2026, uh, it will also be methane and uh, nitrous uh, oxide, which will be converted into CO2 equivalents. Um, you were mentioning um, kind of the alternatives of buying uh, the allowances now up front or doing speculation in, uh, in, in, in the trading. But we have seen a pretty steep price uh, increase uh, over the last uh, couple of years, where before 21, uh, we've seen... Uh, the price has been below 35, uh, uh, but now uh, in the recent uh, two years, we have seen increases up to 100 uh, euros per, per ton. And I think the current price is around 88 euros per ton, hmm. equivalent to around at, uh, $6. Uh, what do you think about the future price of this? Uh, will, how, how, how far can we go on, uh, on, uh, on the price? Yeah, that's a really good, uh, good question, and I wish I had the answer to that. But what we've seen at least in, uh, in the past six months is that it has been between 80 and 100 euro per ton of CO2. So it's you could that's still a big fluctuation, but at least it's stabilizing at a relatively high level. Uh, so, uh, and when you look ahead, I mean, obviously the way this market works, it is a politicized market. So there might be interventions in it, which makes it more difficult to predict the, uh, the price. But if you look ahead, I think there's uh, quite a lot of uh, consensus that it might move around 100 to 120 euro mm. uh, per ton of uh, CO2. Mm. But uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, different factors that will influence uh, this, uh, the weather, uh, the ex- how expensive it is to actually uh, change to more energy efficient technologies, yeah. etc. So uh, we'll have to see. And I guess we, we're happy to see... Uh, price on carbon, but the price level maybe is not sufficient to incentivize uh, big investments at the moment. But hopefully the price will will increase and we'll see also more of these schemes uh, on a global basis as well. Mm. But but first to the, the question of what it incentivizes, right? Because uh, yes, around $100 per ton of, of CO2, at least it's a big enough number to start some conversations, right? Mm. Uh, and it's a number that you can put into calculations and uh, you can start to see some impact. 
I think it also has opened up a new way of discussing with cargo owners the importance of looking into how you can reduce uh, emissions from shipping because yeah. it will have an impact on the freight rates. For example, if you look at uh, grain from Australia to Europe on a Panamax, you could easily add up to $4 per ton. No, and that's uh, that's a number that uh, uh, that you will feel. Absolutely. Uh, the same with soybeans from Brazil to Europe on the Panamax could also easily be around four four dollars per per ton. And when you see these type of uh, numbers, then you can uh, have a different conversation uh, about how the various stakeholders could collaborate and uh, maybe find ways to incentivize each other yeah. to uh, to reduce uh, emissions. Yeah. But so that's uh, at least something we've seen in in Zero Lab that the the carbon price has opened up a new type of conversation uh, and the more curiosity as well around yeah. uh, emission reductions. Very interesting. And and it will be a polluter pace uh, principle. Who will be responsible for this uh, yeah, so, compliance uh, cost? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, good, uh, a good question. Uh, but the compliance cost, I mean, ultimately it is the shipping company that is ultimately responsible for compliance under, under the EU ETS. And uh, that is the company that has assumed from the ship owner operational duties and responsibilities for the ship as specified in the ISM code, right? So it's the same uh, as a dock holder. It's mm. a company that today would report under the EU MRV. Uh, but uh, the shipping company is legally entitled uh, to ask uh, for reimbursement from the entity that is uh, contractually responsible for fuel purchase and operation of the ship. So it's a bit complicated and it has Absolutely. to be dealt with uh, in uh, in uh, really solid uh, contractual uh, terms. So Ingrid, uh, in Zero Lab, you're discussing uh, a lot with the cargo owners. Uh, is this a cost something that you want to see uh, or is it uh, something that they want an invisible uh, freight increase? I think that's a very good uh, question. And so far, uh, we have not seen a market norm uh, establishing itself yet, right? No. Some prefer to have a separate uh, EU ETS clause. Others would just like to have it baked into the overall uh, uh, freight. But uh, it also depends on how much visibility uh, these cargo owners have into their exposure. Uh, and that's something we've been working on uh, a lot over the past year to help uh, small and large cargo owners gain an understanding of what the ETS will uh, actually mean to them. And for some, it's minor. You know, they will hardly notice. For others, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and of course, the, that, uh, where you are on that scale uh, informs very much how you're planning to manage it, uh, both in, in your freight contracts, but also how you uh, plan to manage the financial risk are you setting up your own uh, derivatives uh, mm. trading or or not? So it's quite a wide uh, spectrum, I would say, Absolutely. on how, how they prefer to do it. But I think over time, we will probably see that the price, one way or another, uh, will be reflected in the freight rates. Mm. But uh, I also think that uh, it might take a little bit of time because people want to get used to this. They want to understand how, uh, how the price fluctuates. They want to set up their own risk management as well. Uh, and then uh, we will start to see a market norm uh, developing. Sean, you work in Klana's combination uh, carriers. So 
you have the combination concept where you try to never go empty, mm. uh, which is something I would uh, assume would play out very beneficially uh, under the uh, emission trading uh, scheme. Do you have to prepare anything in addition to just having a great business model? Or yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's a good question. We of course we have the the natural advantage uh, due to the trading efficiency uh, of the combination concept, but um, of course we still need to improve further. Um, and the most important thing we do is improving the energy efficiency of, of the vessels. Uh, and now we will uh, invest close to $60 million, uh, both in the existing fleet and also in, uh, in the new builds, which will, of course, have a big impact on the, on the exposure. So we are uh, transporters of wet products to dry bulk exporting regions, mainly Australia and South America. But at the moment, we have a limited exposure in in the Atlantic and also um, also port calls in the EU. But um, for example, for we had we had the Baru trading in the, the Atlantic a year and a half ago, and um, with CPP down from um, Europe to to Brazil, and then going up again with the iron ore. And then for the standard vessels, they may ba- uh, the tankers, for example, they may ba- ballast from all the way from South America or uh, West Africa, US, uh, Mediterranean. Um, and the standard bulkers may us from from the continent or med down to Brazil. While uh, in this particular trade, we had one example where we're discharging iron ore in Hamburg and then loading CPP again in Rotterdam. So it's mm. basically eliminating the f- the full ballast leg, and this will, of course, be um, a big beneficial uh, factor for for the UTS exposure. And I, I think a lot of uh, cargo owners uh, are unprepared for how they will be charged for ballast legs. Yeah. Right. I think that's the the big question mark uh, mm. still. And I think those that are able to come up with some uh, approaches uh, yeah. to that will be better off, uh, obviously, because if you take uh, cargo into Europe, you are also most likely to be uh, charged one way or another. Uh, with uh, the uh, emissions of the ballast leg out of Europe yeah. uh, afterwards. And uh, I think in, in that respect, KCC has, uh, has a great advantage, in the, especially in the example that, that you just mentioned. That's a good question also that, for example, if a cargo owner wants to pick up a ship in uh, Europe for transporting something out of US, for example, will, will the cargo owner accept this uh, EU ETS cost? So I, I would almost think that uh, the ETS... Uh, basically just adds to the value proposition of KCC then. Yeah, we could maybe say that we now uh, going forward will be be exposed to four markets and uh, where we have the tanker market, the bulk, uh, dry bulk market, fuel market, and also carbon price. So you now benefit from uh, four different markets uh, with the inclusion of shipping in, uh, in the EU ETS, but uh, it can't just be easy, right? I'm sure there are some preparations that needs to be done uh, on, on your side uh, as a company as well. Do you want to talk a bit more about how KCC is preparing for the practical implementation? First of all, we are looking at, at uh, the legal clauses to include uh, in our contracts to, to make sure that uh, the cost is allocated in a good way and uh, that we have control of, the, of, of our exposure. But we also actually included a shadow carbon price in our daily uh, uh, chartering operations um, earlier this year um, to um, also for non-EU trades. Yeah, yeah that's uh, on uh, all all uh, all voyages. Uh, so that's that's uh, making sure that our decision uh, on a daily basis in uh, in uh, in our chartering uh, operations is actually impacted by the cost of carbon. So if we 
for example, if the tanker market is substantially higher than the dry bulk market, um, we are pricing in the carbon cost in our voyage estimates to make sure that the alternative, either ballasting up to take that uh, tanker cargo or, or do the uh, dry Kumbi voyage, that uh, the carbon is a f- part of that decision. So it's actually impacting our, our decision making in the, in the trading. Well, I think that's really uh, interesting. Do you see the same level of uh, carbon consciousness uh, among your uh, your customers? It's absolutely uh, explosion in in kind of the the use of uh, decarbonization and and as a term and and also and the discussions we are part of in the industry and also in Asia where uh, yeah the Chinese uh, carbon scheme but the shipping is not a part of that but in Asia in general we see a very much increased uh, interest in in carbon and and uh, absolutely that's beneficial for us in KCC as um, as we are as we have the natural advantage uh, and also the the ambitious uh, efficiency program that we are implementing now and we see that that's that's something that really gives value. No, and uh, I think that's something we can echo also from uh, from Zero Lab that there is definitely much more interest in in decarbonization. Uh, now uh, adopting uh, shipping uh, strategies as well for cargo owners uh, and uh, a curiosity about what owners and operators are doing uh, to help cargo owners reduce the uh, the CO2 footprint of the maritime uh, supply chain. So things are happening slowly but uh, surely. So uh, Ingrid, um, do you have any Thing in particular that you think that is under-communicated in terms of uh, the EU ETS? Uh, something that uh, people should have in mind uh, when considering this? So I'm going to take the cargo owner's perspective since uh, that's the stakeholder that we work the, the most with. And I would say that there is still surprisingly many cargo owners that are not aware of how the inclusion of shipping in the EU ETS will impact their freight rates. And for some, uh, as I mentioned uh, previously, it could be significant, right? And I think uh, for a lot of these players, it's uh, critical to get a proper view on their uh, on the emissions profile of the maritime supply chain. Uh, that can happen through emission monitoring. And I would think that that type of data sharing between owners, operators and cargo owners that is uh, the need for that is undercommunicated uh, when it comes to the yeah. EU ETS. A, a common sense of truth, yes. kind of uh, <laughs> one single source of truth, so that you uh, you have a data set upon which you can then start to discuss. So how do we how do we manage our exposure better? How can we reduce the the uh, emissions uh, as we trade in or out of Europe, and you know hopefully also in in other areas as well, irrespective of, of the carbon price. Uh, but uh, I think for, for cargo owners to really understand uh, how this will impact their freight rates, I think that's a bit undercommunicated. And once they understand that, uh, you also have more levers to, to start to pull, uh, to incentivize each other to reduce the, uh, the emissions. For example, through uh, the CAF mechanism that uh, KCC is, uh, is employing. So that one is uh, is one important uh, element. And then, of course, um, the ETS is not the only big piece of legislation that will impact shipping industry in the years to come. In Europe, we also have the fuel EU maritime uh, legislation that will take effect in a couple of years, which will mandate the phase in of energy intensity requirements for fuel. 
So watch that space because I think that's going to have quite a big impact on uh, on the biofuel markets. Okay, so now we talked a little bit about how KCC is uh, preparing for the EU ETS, but uh, one thing that is not you know ETS related, uh, but that non- nonetheless uh, piqued my curiosity is this uh, story that you have on the carbon adjustment factor and how you have worked with uh, some of your clients to have them commit to such a CAF clause mm. uh, in your uh, in your contracts. Uh, what is a CAF, uh, Sean? So uh, the CAF is a carbon adjustment factor uh, used to adjust the freight rates uh, based on our performance during the voyage. So um, we have established a baseline together with Southern 2, and then we are uh, comparing our actual performance against this baseline to calculate this freight adjustment. So this is basically self-regulation in the absence of a global carbon price. Absolutely. Uh, So we are uh, in that uh, thinking that we need the carbon price to to incentivize energy investments, energy efficiency uh, investments, um, and also newer fuels. So uh, we cannot sit and wait. We have to to do something and uh, try to get our customers to also support uh, this development as well. So then I wonder, uh, how will the CAF be uh, impacted by a global, uh, a global price on carbon? We think still that it will be uh, some time until we see a, a global price on carbon. So our focus, main focus now is to, to perfecting the, the CAF mechanism as is and also uh, working with the energy efficiency improvement of our vessels. So you'll uh, cross that bridge when you get to it? We're building that bridge. So now we have we have talked a lot about uh, the EU ETS and uh, that it has opened the door to have more uh, decarb uh, conversations in uh, in our industry. But uh, you, I think you mentioned briefly that in KCC you would also like to see uh, a global uh, global approach uh, to to carbon pricing uh, as well. Do you have any expectations for the upcoming uh, IMO meeting in uh, July? Yeah. So uh, of course we are welcoming the EU ETS. But uh, we uh, we wish to see uh, a global price on carbon. It, this is uh, this is a global problem which is not solved by regional uh, regulations. So a global price of carbon is really really important. I, and I think there is uh, definitely that's aligned with the broad consensus in in the industry as uh, as well. Yeah. But, uh, now let's let's prepare for the first hurdle first. Uh, it's coming up fast, first of January. So yeah. good to hear that KCC is ready. Yeah, so I think we have uh, discussed a lot of the interesting uh, subjects on the EU ETS and, uh, and the carbon price in uh, general. Um, uh, but I th- think the key takeaway from our side is that this might not be as complicated as as many think. And uh, and it's actually something that can be managed if you have the proper preparation and uh, also uh, tools to, to, to manage this. So I think we uh, ended at that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ingrid, and uh, for everybody's listening. Uh, keep in touch. 